0: Put us on speaker with all your friends That plug us into your ears Settle in for skits, sketches, speakers, and stories Never before done, I hear Guarantee it'll be a blast Not that anyone asked for it But we've gathered here at last To bring to you The world's first original Citation Needed, to Bushmat Podcast. Hey, does it say citation needed on purpose?
1: Yeah, yeah I, I just don't want to get sued. Uh,
0: what? How many people are even listening uh, to this? Hi
1: everyone, I'm Zachary. Uh, I'm Jewish. That's my friend Emily on the Gita Lely. They're not Jewish. You could say they're a Gita Lely Goy. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Okay, never mind. Um, Well, anyway, she's super kind and talented, and she also likes trees. You like trees, right? Yeah. Oh, thank God. Anyway, when I asked if they'd help me with this song for a podcast about Tu she was like, yeah, totally. So, thanks, Emily.
0: Yeah. So, what actually is Tu The world's first original citation needed Tu podcast.
1: I mean, to be fair, there are plenty of other podcasts about Tubishvat, but this one is a little more of like a variety show, I guess. I don't know. Um. Anyway, yeah. Uh, to answer your question, basically Tubishvat is. Hey you Oh, sorry, one second, Emily. Really. Hey, Becca. Uh, Becca is Jewish.
2: Yes, indeed. Um, I'm also an audio producer, and when this idea first came up for a podcast special about the best Jewish holiday, I was like, yes, please.
1: In fact, you kind of originated the idea by constantly threatening every tubish to interview a tree. Okay, so I'm
0: getting that it's something about trees. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really cool. It's basically like... Oh, I'm sorry. One sec. Uh, The chorus is coming up. Oh, the world's first original citation needed. Jewish fat Podcast. Hey,
3: everybody. Isabel. Isabel!
0: Isabel!
3: Hello. Yes, I'm Isabel. I am also an audio producer, and I am also Jewish. We know each other from work. Yeah, we do. And uh, I found out you were Jewish on Rosh Hashanah. Coincidentally, another Jewish New Year, when we realized that like nobody from our team would be at the office that day. We were like, oh, boy. <laughs> okay, so trees...
0: New year, something about a new year
2: for trees. I think we all know each other from work, actually.
1: Right. I met Isabel, who also knew you, who knew Persia. Mmm, Wrong holiday. Oh. Speaking of Persia,
2: though, where it is the world's first original citation, citation needed?
4: Tubish
0: that podcast.
4: Hi, I'm here too, Persia. Hi, Persia. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Uh, yeah, I'm Persia. I'm a producer too, and also a member of the tribe.
1: This is great for Jewish producer representation. You know, there really aren't enough Jewish producers.
4: Persia, would you mind telling me what tuba shvat is? Yeah, of course. But Zachary... I just have to say, that joke was really low-hanging fruit.
1: Yes, because fruit is an integral part of Tubishvat. Hatcha! No, definitely not.
4: I'd really like to back out. Is it too late? Yes. Oh.
0: The world's first original citation needed. Tubishvat podcast. Whoa, whoa Priscilla! That
4: that was, was you so good! Thanks.
2: Hey,
0: y'all. Yes? Yeah, can somebody please just tell me... What Tu Bishvat is?
2: So there's um, there's trees. So I mean, it's about it's trees. Season, uh, year. Uh, every year, every year, fourth years and harvests are trees like are one year, trees. These dudes so like love really trees. Really, really
1: love yeah. trees. How long have you got?
0: I guess as long as it takes to listen to the world's first original citation needed Tu Bishvat podcast. Welcome to the show. Take a seat to something never done before in history. It's a bit a bit a got something funny and something sweet. It's got something to do with trees. We got quite the cast. So at long last we introduce to the masses the world's first original citation needed to Bishwart Podcast. Oh, the world's first original citation needed: Woo! podcast. Okay. Woo-hoo.
1: okay, but you know we're probably not going to explain what Tubishvad is on this show, right? Why don't we talk about <laughs> trees?
2: <laughs> I
1: love trees. What? What do you love about trees? Oh. <laughs> Just diving right in with a hard-hitting question. Hot seat, Isabel,
3: go. (laughs) They They are powerful and majestic and also beautiful and delicate, and they help us breathe.
1: So true, so true. When I was little, my brother, I don't know if this was like a, you know, a Y2K version of a meme that like other people knew, but he would always go around saying when he was like nine, you know. I hate trees. They make me sneeze because they have leaves <laughs> and I have allergies. And let me tell you, when I was four, like that was so funny. I, Oh, my God. Like that had me on the floor. And he's
4: right. That's, <laughs> that's so true. Did you guys have ginkgo trees oh, wherever yeah. you grew up? I'm going to no, say what is no that? from Zachary. Yeah.
2: Are they the <laughs> ones that smell very uh,
4: smell? Disclaimer, I'm from Florida. Yeah. I'm, yeah. But I'm they're different. so beautiful. They're really beautiful. They have these sort of like fan leaves that are very pretty and they're all over Philly and they all fruit and then drop their fruit, I think in the fall. And you just have like these tiny old Philadelphian streets covered in ginkgo berries and they smell awful and you have to like walk all over them and then your
1: feet (laughs) smell bad
4: and it's like they're beautiful trees and I really like them at all other times except for when they all drop their berries I don't know exactly what they're dropping
1: well I hate that we're starting off with on such a negative note with trees because (laughs) I don't don't mind
4: it so much but people are always like I feel like it gives ginkgo trees a bad rap that people are like oh, they stink And I'm like, I don't know, whatever. They're pretty. Well, I just
1: want to clarify that this is absolutely a pro tree (laughs) podcast.
4: (laughs) Everyone
3: has
2: their flaws.
1: Not trees. Trees are perfect.
2: In every way. They're only human. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I think of trees as a little bit human, though.
1: What, yeah. what what is going on? We we're 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 a minute and a half in, and suddenly trees—they <laughs> smell. They're only human. They're they're all these disgusting, <laughs> dirty things. What's going on? I'm sorry.
4: It's very common to personify a tree. I had a good friend who
3: was a tree when I was in kindergarten. Yeah, I think kids do that. I would give him a hug every morning when I went to school. The crossing guard knew. That every morning that I had to go hug the tree. That's so Aww. nice. And then I stopped doing it. And he was like, he said to my mom, he was like, oh, she's growing up. And my mom was like, they had like a really sad moment about it when I stopped hugging the tree. Aww. Yeah.
2: Aww. That was really sad. Did you feel like the tree was talking to you?
3: Yes. I don't know that I thought the tree was talking to me, but I definitely thought that it had a personality. Like also there were trees, it wasn't this tree, but I think it was a couple trees down on that same block in front of the school had like a little, it looked kind of like an opening at the bottom of the tree. And sometimes people would put little, there was a phase of fairy houses amongst Uh my elementary school friends. And I think it started with this tree because someone put like, I don't know if it was like a little animal figure or like arranged acorns in a way that looked like there was a tiny human living there and so
1: it there were stories and personalities I always get so nervous when trees leaves fall and I'm like oh my god is it is it gonna die is it are they gonna come back are they, are they, they gonna back? be okay and I'm I'm shocked like it's it's every spring I'm like it's like a magic like trick. I could cry it, mm-hmm. it did it right it did it it's okay I'm always so nervous it's just like they're dead And maybe that's because, like, we use the word dead to describe leafless trees, which is maybe not the best word,
4: you know? It's more like hibernating. Yeah. Sleeping. It just changes our neighborhoods and our countryside so dramatically
1: when they all lose their leaves. I do think it's cool that tubishvat is, like, when there are no leaves on the trees.
3: That is interesting. My grandma didn't believe me that it was in January. Like, she (laughs) thought I was wrong. (laughs) It does feel very strange. (laughs) It's like, I googled
4: it.
2: (laughs) <laughs> Isabel just making things up.
4: When did she think it was? When when's a more appropriate time for the tree holiday? I think like April. I mean, we already have too. Passover as our spring holiday
1: and Shavuot.
4: Yeah. It's nice cuz we don't ha- there aren't that many other Jewish holidays around this
1: time. Really? I feel like there's always like seven Jewish holidays at once. <laughs>
4: I know, but like think about
1: constantly. how yeah, constant sort of seven
4: of Jewish holidays are happening at any one time. And I think January right. and February might be a little bit of a
1: a bare spot. Trees are big in Judaism, though. I feel like even just talking about some of these holidays, whether it's more pointedly about trees like Tubishvat or just like the way trees show up in general commentary and stuff. I I learn a lot about Judaism and and myself, frankly, from having a non-Jewish girlfriend and just saying things out loud and being like, oh, yeah, that is kind of weird. Yeah. And I feel like I've said so much about trees and kind of stop and have to go, wow, yeah, Jews and trees. It's like a a big thing.
4: Yeah, there's a very big TikTok account that I sent Becca, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. It's like, I think it's literally called like Jew who loves trees or something. And it's just this Jewish guy. Of course, he's like, you know. A hot Jewish guy. And he just, he's like, (laughs) he just loves trees. He just loves trees.
1: Um, All Jewish guys are hot. (laughs) Also
4: true. Excuse me. He's a typically looking Jewish guy, i.e., hot. And he just like talks about trees. And he has, let me look it up. He has 202,000 followers on TikTok.
1: Um, Wow. And his profile
4: picture is him shirtless holding a bonsai.
1: Let's get him up to 613,000
4: followers. (laughs) I do see the videos he has up now. One says extremely casual pinecone review, and the other one says apology. So I don't know what's happened. Apology? (laughs) Is he canceled? (laughs) I don't know. What does he have to
3: apologize for?
1: Yeah, also clarification, especially if there's an apology. Do we are not sponsored by a hot Jewish TikTok guy? (laughs) Not affiliated.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen that much of his content, but it it feels like a, a stamp of... Not approval, but like, yes, this is a thing. There are Jews who love trees. There are, in fact, so many. (laughs) I eat a lot of fruit, but the majority of that is apples. I'm sort of a picky fruit eater. I like apples. I like bananas. Pears are okay. I don't really like most berries, and melons are sort of seasonal, so apples are usually the fruit I'm eating. And I love apples. I eat at least an apple a day. But I also really, really like pomegranates. The trouble with pomegranates is that it's not an everyday fruit. It's an occasion fruit. It's not a fruit you can really take on the go. It's a fruit that needs time. It needs patience. And I think to many people, the, the sort of complicated architecture of the pomegranate is a hurdle. It's an annoyance to be dealt with as quickly and as cleanly as possible. At this point, pomegranate seed removal hacks are like their own genre of YouTube video.
5: Hey, Dirt Farmer Jay here. If you're like me, you love pomegranates, but you really hate the hassle of processing them. Stick with me and I'll show you a quick technique to get from this to this in just a few moments. Hello everyone. This is Jack, and in this video, I will show we you. We eat the these things all way the time, so we need it. And to now we're ready for, for the way. stainiest fruit I know of. Because let's face it, these things can be kind of a pain in the butt. To Start open, by cutting the skin of the pomegranate right on the ridge. Six one of Six cups. Then pull it apart to get easy access to the. Now alien what you want to do is break your pomegranate open above your bowl and of water. Strain the white bits off the top since they float. Take the wood spoon and give the pomegranate D-tip. a good shake to loosen up the seeds. Then grab a 12 inch length of tube. to just
6: rotate. And then just take out all the seeds from each section. And just, oh. So I just use my fingers to work the seeds out. Jam in it water. in there,
5: there we go. Then you can just pour those seeds out.
6: The pomegranate seeds are ready to my up.
5: Mmm, pomegranate.
4: I actually grew up with pomegranates. I grew up eating them as a kid with my family, and I never really thought about pomegranates as a particularly annoying fruit to eat. The de-seeding process for me was sort of a feature, not a bug. I don't think I've ever tried a single one of those hacks, because I actually like removing pomegranate seeds. In fact, sometimes I don't even really spend the time removing them. Sometimes I eat pomegranate seeds straight from the pomegranate, like pomegranate to mouth. I come from a mixed religion family. My dad is an Ashkenazi Jew, and his parents are from an Eastern European region known as the Pale of Settlement, which changed hands a couple of times, but whether or not that population was ruled by the Russian Empire, Ukraine, or Poland, it was always a Jewish area, and the people who lived there were often not considered citizens of those countries at all. My dad's family left Eastern Europe in the very early 20th century and moved to the east coast of the United States. My mom is only Jewish by association. Her parents were actually also of different religions, which is not nearly so common where she grew up in Iran. Her father was Muslim and her mother was Baha'i, and they raised their kids in the Baha'i faith. It's a very small, relatively new religion. Born out of Iran in the 1850s. It's very, it's sort of new agey. I recommend looking it up. So my familiarity with pomegranates comes from her. Pomegranates are huge in Persian cooking and holidays and culture in general. Okay. So today, I am describing to you how I open pomegranates. So the tools you need to open a pomegranate, the way that I open pomegranates, are two bowls, one sharp knife, sort of small handheld size, and a pomegranate. This is the way my mom has always opened pomegranates, and so it's the way that I always open pomegranates. I still think she's better at it than me. Maybe when I'm a mom, I too will be good at opening pomegranates. So the first thing you do is you sort of stick the knife into the top of the pomegranate diagonally so that you're sort of carving out the top of the pomegranate and you carve that piece out and you have a discard bowl and then you have a pomegranate seed bowl. So the stuff I'm carving out right now, I'm putting in my discard bowl. And then when I get to the seeds, I'll be putting them in my seed bowl. Okay, so you have the little top cut out. So your pomegranate essentially looks like it's lost its hat. This is the part that I don't really get that my mom seems to do is she essentially quarters it, maybe it's like into sixes, because the pomegranate I think is shaped a little bit like an orange or a citrus fruit in that I think it has sections, but I don't know how you tell where the sections are. So I sort of just cut into the sides of the pomegranate willy-nilly and just hope that, you know, my intuition is guiding me the right way. This is all done in my hand, by the way which is a very immigrant mother thing to do, to be cutting fruit in the hand and not on a cutting board. So I've cut it into fours, or I would say I've scored the pomegranate four times. And so this is the part where you see if it's worked or not. You're essentially gonna try to split the pomegranate apart. So you just hold it in your hands, you put your thumbs in the middle where you cut off the top part, and here we go. Look, it's making a great sound. Okay, so now my pomegranate is in four quarters. You can definitely do more pieces than I have, but four seemed fine to me. The problem that you have at this point is that you haven't actually made it any easier to access the pomegranate seeds. Um, You've exposed them, and if you've cut it right, you haven't really damaged any of them. But you don't all of a sudden have great access to a large amount of pomegranate seeds outside of their little pockets. And I would argue that that is not, in fact, what I'm trying to do. Now that I have the pomegranate in sections, there isn't really a strategy to this. If I'm, if I'm preparing it for someone else, I just go through each section and pick out the seeds one by one. If other people are interested in the task, then I would hand out the sections to whoever wants to. And it can be sort of a communal depicking. I find this to be the really sort of fun part of eating a pomegranate. I'm one of those people that likes busy work. I love to have things to do with my hands. I have a hard time sort of sitting still in front of the TV or even during conversations. So as an after dinner activity, when people are just kind of hanging out or lingering, I find the challenge of getting all these little seeds out to be really gratifying and sort of calming helps me concentrate on what's going on around me. And also, you you get to give a bunch of pomegranate seeds to people who are, you know, a little less dedicated to the task, who would much rather just sort of eat than go through the process. Even though Jews are celebrating trees at this time of year, I don't think of mid-January as an especially verdant or bountiful time. January is sort of a dead zone. A lot of the important holidays have passed, Jewish and Goyish alike. And really, all we have before the spring holidays is three months of winter. But pomegranates are actually in season during the winter. You usually start seeing pomegranates in your grocery store between October and January. I consider food one of the main ways to celebrate a holiday. And so besides the obvious act of planting a tree, I'm of course way more interested in the celebratory eating of winter fruit. Though for Tubishvat, people eat a whole host of fruits and nuts like figs, grapes, dates, walnuts, etc. I think potentially in a time where we don't have as much to eat in the winter months, the things that are in season are even sweeter.
1: What is the extent of celebration any of you ever did, or commemoration even of Tubishvat in your lifetime?
2: Zilch. None. I went to a Jewish day school, so we would sing tree songs. Woohoo, jinx.
1: Yeah, awesome.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I don't remember us ever going out to see any trees or do anything besides sing songs about them.
1: We did a similar thing at my Jewish day school, and they, they had us come in. In kindergarten, I remember dressed as we were supposed to come in dressed as trees, but I thought I was too cool. And my mom was too disinterested in arts and crafts (laughs) Uh to like do anything about it. So like we taped a couple leaves to my arm, I remember. And there's like a picture of me with my friends who are like full blown dressed as like oak trees. And I'm like (laughs) looking way too cool for school. Like, Please. I'm cool.
4: I did go to Hebrew school and I went to Hebrew school like every week since kindergarten. So I'm sure at one point there was some sort of worksheet or like coloring book. You know, I'm sure there was a day where they were like, this week is Tu Shabbat. Do you want to draw trees? <laughs> and I'm sure, you know what I mean? Like they have to constantly be coming up with curriculum for all these little kids. So I'm sure it was introduced at some point, but mm-hmm. I don't have any strong memory of it. It's just sort of been there
3: yeah me too i had a lot of tree content in other avenues of my life like girl scouts and summer camp but those were both distinctly not jewish
1: (laughs) well but all trees are jewish so yes so by default (laughs) except pine trees they're not jewish yeah i was
2: gonna say (laughs) except pine trees (laughs) yeah
1: yeah. those those are glacier trees
4: (laughs) but actually i grew up on a tree street in philly some of the main streets are named after trees so i grew up on spruce street and then there's walnut and chestnut, and is locust a tree?
1: Locust is a plague.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there's a tree. I don't know. I don't know why, but they named some of the main
2: streets in Philly after trees. It's very pleasant.
1: I had very specific trees growing up because I'm from South Florida, which much of it is marshland, which if I remember my science class correctly, marshland doesn't have trees as opposed to swamps or bogs. But Then like where there are trees, they're like very specific kinds of trees that really can only grow down here. Some really cool ones. There's like the gumbo limbo. Great tree. Excuse me? (laughs) That is a food and a dance. That is not a tree. (laughs) Uh, It's got like a fuzzy top and like a neat jagged shape. Also the name of a museum nearby. Also the name of my fourth grade summer reading book, The Missing Gator of Gumbo Limbo. Yes, I'm from Florida. <laughs> oh my goodness. We have oak trees, but we more specifically have southern oak trees, which are different from regular oak trees. And before anyone shouts palm tree, which I know you're eager to do, we have a lot of those, but those are not trees. Those are woody herbs. What? Not trees.
4: That's what they called me in college.
1: Woody <laughs> Woody herbs. <laughs> Also not native to Florida.
4: I'm sorry, those aren't trees? No. What makes a tree a tree?
3: This really stresses me out. I just Googled palm trees, and it says their growth form can be climbers, shrubs, tree-like, and stemless plants, all commonly known as palms. Those having a tree-like form are called palm trees. A tree-like form does, in fact, imply that it's not a tree.
1: So actually, this reminds me... um, Would the three of you mind if I read you a poem that I wrote this afternoon about my favorite tree in Florida? (laughs) Please. I would not mind. Thank you. I read it a couple hours ago. So ready. (laughs) Okay. Cue the bongos. I'm going to put like bongos here, you know, (laughs) like I'm a, a beatnik. Sea grape. Grape of the sea. Can I eat you? Will you taste good to me? The texture of those leaves I love, flat, matte, unique is what I'm getting at. Like a church, you frame the entryway to blessed beaches by the bay. Except I don't care about churches, so maybe it's not like how a church is. Maybe more like that restaurant The Mars-themed one that kids would want to go in Times Square. Years ago, it was there. They had that portal thing you went through. Or maybe it was a ship. Or a shaft. Or a ship. Ooh. But yeah, something like that. Sea grapes. Where was I at? Right. Sea grapes. Right. That. I must know more about this tree. This tree that so transfixes me. I must go to the source. Wikipedia, of course. (laughs) Click. No. It can't be. Not my tree. Right there for all to see. Clear as day in HTML. FML. FML. Not my tree. Not my tree. It can't. I'm cowering. It can't. Not a tree. Not a tree. A plant. A flowering plant. End poem.
3: That was such
2: a plot twist. I'm shaking. It was beautiful. I tried to snap into the microphone, but unfortunately I can't snap.
1: Oh, oh no. (laughs) But just know that I
2: tried. Sea grapes and
3: palm trees. Are there any actual trees?
1: What does Rashi have to say about
3: this? (laughs) So if that was your favorite kind of tree, and now it's not a tree, do you have a second favorite tree that has ascended in the ranks?
1: Oh, Um,
3: (laughs) sorry if this is a sore subject still I only
1: have so much poetry in me Um, I mean it would have been a palm tree but we know that's out (laughs) gone
4: this seems like a symptom of you having grown up in Florida yeah it's not a tree full place
1: ouch Oof! my beloved Florida I'm just kidding I don't care about Florida Um, (laughs) I'm gonna come back to you on that
3: do you have a favorite tree Isabel? yes I do have a favorite tree Google says it might be the eastern white pine. It's whatever pine Mm. tree is very common in coastal Maine. And there were a ton of them at my summer camp growing up. But I also have several individual trees that I have a special connection to. So if I have to pick like a generally speaking type of tree,
1: it would be the eastern white pine.
4: I actually have a vendetta against favorites.
1: Well, I'm not giving an answer if you're not, and this is a podcast, <laughs> and podcasts give top 10 lists and rankings and, and favorites, so I want to know, what are all of your favorite trees? <laughs> uh,
4: I'll, I'll pick one for the pod. I'll say a willow tree, like a weeping willow. Oh, you stole mine. There's a couple nice willows on my block that sort of overhang over someone who has just a beautiful backyard in New York City, if you can believe it. And I just think it like makes their whole backyard seem very... Mystical and sort of Mm. secluded from the rest of the street.
3: I actually, you'll be thrilled to know that I spoke with a willow tree for this podcast. Oh, it was a lovely little conversation. So, as you know, we're here to talk about your big holiday. It's New Year's for you, Tubishvat. Are you excited? Do you have any big plans?
7: Um, you know, I'm really excited. I don't get out that much, it's not like a big. Like party holiday for me, I don't really like big parties. I was thinking I might uh, do some trivia in the Grove with my friends. You know, I'm pretty good at like culture trivia because I've been in some culture, like in um, "Willow Weep for Me," the song by Nina Simone. That was great. I just thought that was so beautiful. Yeah, you know, I've been around for a while, so those are just the perks. When you think of a tree, sometimes you just like think of a willow tree. You know, it's a pretty tree. You yeah. know, I would never call myself a pretty tree.
3: But it's been oh, said I about I think me. You're a, I think you're a beautiful tree. Stop it. That is so sweet. I know a lot of people call you, your nickname is the weeping willow. How do you feel about that? Does that feel um, accurate? I mean, I think it's fair. Whether or not it feels good,
7: <laughs> but I, I think it's fair. I definitely have been known to weep. <laughs> I weep uh, when I'm happy weep when I'm sad. Would I like to be weeping less? Maybe. Is it good for me? Maybe not. But you know, Adele, one of my favorite singers, she said, cry your heart out. It'll clean your face. So, you know, I don't really have a face per se, but if I did. But it'll clean your branches. It will. It kind of like cleanses the trunk. That's like how I like to think about it.
3: You have that reputation. I think a lot of people also really take you up on that and weep beneath your branches and leaves. I'm sure you witness a lot of weeping. What have you gotten to witness in that role?
7: I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, it's actually something I'm really proud of. I really try and make and keep space for people. I like to think that under my branches, you know, that's a space for you. And like I said, there are some cultural associations with. Willows been in a lot of poetry. So I think people that seek me out are tender, gentle people who sort of want to just have a really good cry, maybe with a journal of some sort. There aren't as many lutes around anymore, but for a while it was like a lot of lutes. Now it's more like Olivia Rodrigo lyrics. Like, and sometimes I will say, I would like to use this opportunity to say that
3: carving lyrics into me has been happening a bit, which I don't love. So I don't know if this is a thing that trees do, but for us humans, we really love to use our new years to set resolutions, things that we want to look forward to or uh, intentions for the coming year. So since tuba Shvat is your new year, do you have any new year's resolutions you're making? Thank
7: you so much for asking. I will say that in the tree community, we make resin-lutions, ah, just a little tree humor, resin sap, make sap so we make resin-lutions. But I think to answer your question, just try to be lighter. I can really weigh myself down with feeling doubt, not being sure that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm being the right kind of tree for the trees around me and the people that need me. And that can be so much pressure. And I just think I should lighten up because I can't be the tree that everyone needs me to be all the time. I just have to be the tree that I need to be for myself. So that's my
3: resolution. That's beautiful. You can only be you. Well, Anya, the willow tree, have a beautiful Tu and a lovely new year. I hope you feel lighter this coming year.
7: And you. And if you ever need to cry about Red Taylor's version, you know where to find me.
3: I will absolutely take you up
1: on that. I think it's interesting. We don't seem to be talking mainly about fruit-bearing trees.
4: I think the fruit like overshadow the tree once you once mm-hmm. yeah. the tree has a fruit. Like I was thinking about that actually. Like I think olive trees are pretty.
3: That's so nice that you say that, because as it turns out, Zachary, I don't want to speak for you. Maybe maybe this is your time to come out with it.
1: All I'll say is thank you, Persia. As an olive tree, I really appreciate <laughs> that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Can you please introduce yourself for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have already. I'm Zachary. I'm one of the producers and hosts on this podcast, so... But I guess because it's audio, most people don't know that I'm a tree. Yeah, so I am an olive tree. I appreciate that even though I'm in you know, a lot of the rest of this show, That I appreciate you including me in this segment. Of course.
3: I'm trying to hear from a number of different kinds of trees, trying to understand what this holiday is like for you, how you approach it. First of all, before we get to the holiday itself. How has this past year been for you? Are you looking forward to turning a new leaf, as they say, um, to a new year? Let's
1: calm down a second. (laughs) I'll make the jokes here. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'll I'll make the puns. Wow. Yes, this year has been unbelievable. But uh, like anyone, it's been a little tough, you know, not being able to do so much that we could before, um, not seeing loved ones, and in my case, getting sunlight. I mean, we all need sunlight but like I I really need it like eight hours of full sunlight a day full stop no sunscreen but uh it's been tough for everybody.
3: So with this holiday Tu is your new year how do you celebrate?
1: You know look I'm very old and when you're as old as I am your relationship to birthdays new years combo birthday new years changes a lot. When I was in kindergarten which for a little tree is really weird because, you know, you think it's an actual garden and then, whoo surprise, it's not. But we had dress like a tree day. You know, I thought that was pretty weird that it's like if they had dress like an Isabel day or dress like a human day, I guess. So that was really weird. And so, you know, as a kid, I was kind of uncomfortable with that. And then, you know, by well, the time... Well, and did
3: you... Sorry to interrupt, but how did you dress? I mean, as a tree, did you just go as yourself?
1: Yeah, I put on some, some fake leaves, like that I got from Michael's and just a little bit to supplement my real leaves. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. In retrospect, I wouldn't have done that, but I wanted to fit in. and Of course.
3: Well, you want to fit in with the other kids. Right. With their fake leaves from Michael's.
1: And it's hard enough to fit in the classroom when you're a tree and the, the ceiling is only so tall. So, you know, that was right, right. trying to fit in with the, the other kids. But yeah, and so by the time I turned 1,000... Okay, I've had enough of these. All right, it's two again, doing another. Okay, fine. But then, you know, you do it for another 1,000 years. You know, now I'm I'm two 2,000-plus years old or so. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's party it up. Let's do a podcast. Let's, let's go to the Southwest where, I don't know if you know this, in parts of the American Southwest, fruit-bearing olive trees are illegal. It's illegal because of how many fruit of ours drop. But, like, I'm 2,000. What the? do I care? Yeah. Like I'm going to go down to the Southwest. I'm going to drop olives like it's nothing. Whatever. Who cares at this point? When you're 2000 years old, why not?
3: Yeah. Are you considered an elder in your community or are most olive trees 2000
1: plus years old? I don't know if I'd be considered an elder. I'm certainly not a youngin. I've Mm -hmm. been around a while. My experience is different than a lot of other olive trees and a lot of other trees in general because I'm more assimilated into human society than most, you know. I I mean, you know, I work with you. I have a job. I live in New York in an apartment. I wear pants. There's things you have to get used to, like using a computer for work. It's a little difficult when you don't have opposable thumbs. A lot of click, clack, click, clack, clacking, you know, with my, my... You use your branches? Branches, yeah. But, you know, you get by and it is what it is. And, look, my mom... My mom, also an olive tree. My mom always says that if all the villagers could throw their troubles into a pot and you could see them all there, you would fish yours right back out, you know? So I got my problems, but who doesn't? What were we talking about? <laughs> I don't know, but that was
3: that was wonderful. And actually, that I think is a good segue to my next and last question, which is, I don't know if you olive trees do this, but I'm sure you know of this tradition in your time living amongst humans, but every New Year's, a lot of people like to make New Year's resolutions. Is that something that you do? And if so, what are your New Year's resolutions?
1: Face scrubs.
3: Face scrubs?
1: Yeah. I heard there's uh, this big business in olive-related face scrubs. Trying to enter that market.
3: So you mean as as a business opportunity, creating face scrubs from your fruits?
1: Yeah. You know, I want to give you more wisdom, but when you're this old, you're like, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. What can I do to keep life interesting?
3: I love the opportunity to enter the skincare space. I have enjoyed from time to time an olive oil skincare product. Mm-hmm. I wish you all the best in your face scrub and skin care endeavors this coming year. Thank you for coming on the podcast as a guest. I know you've done a lot of work to make this podcast happen as part of your Tu New Year's celebration. So I appreciate you giving a little extra time to share your story as an olive tree. And happy New Year to you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It's always good to branch out, try new things. So... Well said. Thanks for having me.
4: I just like that they're like kind of they're very grovy, like sometimes like kind of twisted and like gnarled. I don't know why I have that idea.
1: Olive trees, we we tend to be kind of yeah gnarly and twisted.
4: So that checks. <laughs> so, Do you? Yeah. They're rebels.
1: Edge lord. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I don't even know what a pomegranate tree looks like.
2: Or That's Maybe are uh, they grown on bushes? Mm. <laughs>
4: a pomegranate grown on a tree
3: i think that's the (laughs) issue with the fruit bearing trees is is that i forget that they
1: actually are trees
4: um it seems like pomegranates grow on shrubs and not trees
1: (laughs) you know what i have two trees that like were really unique i'm thinking of that looked great that i've seen in real life are i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right but baobab trees
4: oh i do love baobab trees i
1: mean those are unbelievable and african tulip trees It's just got these like bright orange flowers on top, really gorgeous.
3: I recently discovered a new tree. I didn't discover it, it already existed. (laughs) But But I was informed of the existence of this tree called the Osage orange tree. It has a fruit that looks like a tennis ball. Monkey brain.
1: Wow, that's so cool. What
2: the heck, I've never seen this before.
4: They're so weird. There's like a couple of trees that are very prominent in my childhood memory. And this is one of them, the Osage Orange Tree. Really? I had had no idea what it was called. Yeah, there were just a couple of trees that gave off things that were sort of novelties. I I do feel like as a kid, I spent so much more time literally like looking closer to the earth, looking at the earth, playing with things I found on the ground, Mm. (laughs) spending time just like in random parks And they had these trees and the the fruit, I guess, of these trees kind of looks like a green brain. I've never eaten them. We would just like kick them around and like throw them at each other. You should not eat them. They are not poisonous,
3: but should not be eaten because they are an extreme laxative.
4: Wow. (laughs) Okay. All right. Ah! Good to know. (laughs)
3: For
1: those who do choose to eat them, they taste like cucumbers. Oh. Becca, you grew up in in Queens, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you interacted with the earth a lot?
2: You know, that's a really interesting question. I feel like there's this misconception that New York City does not have a lot of nature when actually when you look around, it's everywhere and trees are everywhere. Mm -hmm. Personally, (laughs) I did not grow up as an outdoorsy person. um, And now I have become more of one and my family's a little bit confused by it. They're like, why would you intentionally go sleep on the ground in the woods. <laughs> anyway, all this to say, New York City is actually full of nature and specifically full of trees. And I actually spoke to somebody who knows a lot about that. I recently had a conversation with a writer named Alison C. Meyer. She writes about art, architecture, history, all kinds of curiosities. And she is also very, very into trees. She recently published this awesome map called Great Trees of New York. Which is exactly what it sounds like. And it was super fun to talk to her. So, to get us started, can you just introduce yourself? Tell me your name, where you live, and what it is you do?
8: Sure. My name is Allison C. Meyer, and I live in Brooklyn. I'm a writer, but that means a lot of different things, so I I mainly write about art, architecture, and history, but any sort of knowledge rabbit hole is kind of like fair game to me. And I, I think like trees actually connect to architecture, history, how did a city come to be, why does it look like it does. So you
2: were born in Oklahoma, right?
8: Yeah, yeah. I was born in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which isn't a very big town. It's like about 30,000 people, but I guess related to trees, it's big claim to fame outside of Bartlesville as they have Frank Lloyd Wright's only skyscraper, and it's nicknamed the tree that escaped the crowded forest because he initially wanted to build it in New York City but couldn't, so... We do have a, a little bit of a tree architecture, New York connection, but very tenuous.
2: <laughs> I don't think I've heard of that one of his.
8: Yeah, it's a it's a cool building, but it definitely stands out, I think, more in Bartlesville than if he had actually got to build it, I think, in the East Village is where he wanted to. So that leads me right into my next
2: question, which is, have you always been interested in trees?
8: Yeah, I think not in such a deep way. Like, you know, as a kid, I definitely had... I loved the magnolia tree in our backyard that I could climb high enough to make my parents nervous. But yeah, it it really came about just from paying close attention and then like appreciating what are the trees near me? Why are they there? You know, where are the old ones? All those things.
2: So the NYC Parks website has this great trees of New York City list, right? (laughs) That seems to have inspired you to go on this whole journey and make a map of your own. Could you explain what that list is and how you came across it?
8: Yeah, for sure. So NYC Parks in 1985 created this list of great trees around the city. And you can still find it on the NYC Parks website. And it's kind of awesome because they like geolocate everything. So it makes it very easy to like witness the trees. And I think I came upon it because... Another thing I do in addition to be a writer is I'm a cemetery tour guide and I was leading tours at Woodlawn Cemetery and on their map they had all these like official great trees of New York designations. I was like what is that like (laughs) and so I ended up looking up the map and it kind of led me to want to see all these great trees because like while some of them are obviously great you know like oh, it's a really big tree. It's a really old tree. Some of them you're like, why is this a great tree? I didn't see absolutely all of them because some of them are on private property. Some are very deep in Staten Island. I still hope to get there someday, but I did my best to see as many as possible. It feels like kind of a, a scavenger hunt. Totally. I love a scavenger hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so can
2: you describe the feeling to me of approaching one of these trees for the first time And what it's like to see one in person that you've read about or heard stories about.
8: Yeah, definitely. I think like the one that really struck me the most, and it's interesting because I now see it every day because of where I live, is the Camperdown Elm in Prospect Park, which is this really sort of gnarled looking, giant bonsai looking tree by the boathouse. And when you approach it, you know, it's a tree you kind of can appreciate both from afar. It's all, like, stooped over. But then when you get close, to you really see all the details of its trunk. It's very, like, eldritch-looking. And it has a great story. Um, the poet Marion Moore was very pivotal to saving it in the 1960s. And I believe it dates to the 19th century when Prospect Park was kind of, like, forming. They were getting all these different exotic tree gifts and plants and all these things so it's kind of just like cool to think about this thing has been here for so long so many lifetimes of people and it's still here and i can see it i can like gently touch it if i want to trees are very um i don't know cinematic i guess because you you kind of can get a different view of them from far away and up close as you move around them
2: yeah i love that i was reading your article you wrote for city lab a few years ago oh yeah And I hope you don't mind if I I quote yourself back to you. (laughs) Um, But you wrote, many human lifetimes may span the life of the tree, and maybe that makes them feel present as city elders.
8: Can you talk a little bit about that? So many different lifespans can take place for us humans within the span of a tree, and it's still there kind of having witnessed all these things. Like, Mm -hmm. I think about the hangman's elm in... uh, washington square park which sadly for spooky stories no one actually got hanged from it it's just like some um. lore but it's <laughs> i know <laughs> that's always a downer for, for for storytelling but it's just this giant spooky elm tree that was there before everything around it almost and it's still there and it's just very cool to have not just like a building or a statue or an old fence or whatever those witness that changes but like it's been changing too across those times and i just i I love being able to be in the presence of those kind of things
2: yeah that's beautiful i recently went to the new york botanical garden for the first time in a really long time and i was just so struck by especially some of the trees that do have this kind of elderly presence about them Mm -hmm. (laughs) they just feel like they've seen so much, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Did, did any of them stand out to you? Like, that's such a
8: beautiful place.
2: It's so magical there. There was one tree near the Children's Center. And I couldn't tell you what it was called. Um, but it actually had all these supports kind of keeping it in place. Oh, cool. And I just thought that was kind of beautiful that the people maintaining the
8: space are investing so much in keeping this tree alive that's been there for so long. I do appreciate when like sometimes you take the time to stop in an old tree and it does have all the wires and crutches and stuff. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, someone has taken effort to care for this tree and like allowed it to thrive beyond what might have been possible. And yeah, that's always cool to see.
2: Now that you have done all this research and seen all these trees, do you feel like you walk around the city differently or see it through a different lens?
8: Yeah, definitely. I think you know, the trees we see most often in New York are street trees. And I don't think I really thought about, like, why is this tree here? You know, why am I on a street with, like, dawn redwoods, which I am. There's, like, three of them. And it it just seems like such a strange choice to plant a redwood tree in New York City because you're like, yeah. that's such a big tree. <laughs> but doing um, the research, I found out they're actually, like, very perfect for the city because they're resistant to a lot of invasive insects and they're very predictable in how they grow they just kind of grow straight upwards and so like i don't think i would have noticed before there were dawn redwoods on my stereo where i would just been like oh that's all some evergreen tree but it definitely in that specific way of like planting, and then, um, you know, knowing that Robert Moses loved London plane trees, and when he was Parks Commissioner, like, planned them all over the city, so it just changes the way I see how the city has changed, how it's changing, how we're getting a little bit better about thinking about the future, about what's sustainable, but yeah, and I, I'm stealing this line from somebody else, but, like, someone told me that any tree you pick, if you, like, look at it every single day... Will become your favorite tree just because you'll see time and seasons and everything changing, and I think that is a hundred percent true. Like you don't have to be near like a three hundred year old elm tree to still have that appreciation for nature in the city
2: That's such a wonderful way of seeing things so tell me a little bit more about this map you put together the great trees of New York City. Can you just describe what it looks like and how you came to put it together?
8: Yeah, so Blue Crow Media, they mainly publish architecture maps, but they also do other maps that kind of like show the depth of a city. And it just happened that they started to get into doing great trees of London. And I already had all this, you know, extensive uh, research going across the five boroughs to see great trees. So it came together as the great trees of New York map and like it's kind of i see it as like a little bit of an update of that new york city parks list because while it does include trees that were you know great trees in 1985 it also includes ones they might have overlooked or like ones that are great for different reasons it folds out so you have like on one side all the trees marked across the city on this really beautiful colorful map and then the other side there are very short descriptions and images of the trees and for this map uh, photographer Colin Montgomery took these really beautiful images of the trees that are on the map and so it's both a navigational object but also hopefully you know something to kind of just inspire wanderlust maybe like wherever you are and think about what trees are near you and think about seeing the tree a little bit differently.
2: Have you heard of anybody consulting the map to find the trees themselves?
8: Yeah, I always get excited when I hear that people decided to go on like a little tree wander. I think you could, especially in Manhattan, you know, you could do a whole day kind of walking up, seeing um, maybe the survivor tree at the Trade Center site and like maybe seeing the Joseph Boys tree installation in Chelsea. Like you could make a whole day of it. I think it'd be fun. I'm
2: definitely going to be doing that.
8: (laughs) <laughs> so, appreciate the inspiration. So,
2: you also lead cemetery tours, mm-hmm. which I think is extremely cool, and I want to go <laughs> on one. So, having spent so much time in cemeteries, what role do you feel like trees play in cemeteries?
8: Yeah, that's a good question. Greenwood is where I lead most of my tours. And when it was started in 1838, I don't think the planners had any idea that someday the city would. Be completely surrounding it, but now it's this really important island of green in Brooklyn for pollinators, for birds, for biodiversity, and so trees are really essential to that. And Joe Cherup, who's head of horticulture there, is is really forward thinking in terms of making sure Greenwood is ecologically diverse place and thinking about climate change. Like they've even planted some experimental live oaks. Thinking about like, yeah, like this traditionally southern tree could maybe thrive in New York, and it is a little scary. They are doing okay, which you know mm-hmm. isn't great for us, but it's it's good to think ahead. But yes, yeah, cemeteries. Joe uh, said this to me, but he's like the trees there kind of get the space to really be the best version of themselves in a way they don't even get to in a park because there's really they could be just out there among graves with nothing around them and so they could grow into this beautiful you know, oak tree that in other spots would get limbs cut off because of traffic mm. or all that. But yeah, cemeteries are also great places for exploring trees. Maybe next time I'll do a cemetery tree map. It'll be a whole different <laughs> a thing. <combo. laughs> yeah, because as someone who certainly knows a lot about cemeteries, I there are cemetery trees on the map, but I had to be sure to be like, you can't just put a bunch of cemetery trees, like, because that would have been very easy for me to do. (laughs) Somebody would be like,
2: why is this person (laughs) leading me to a bunch of cemeteries? Exactly. Do you feel like the trees and cemeteries play an emotional role as well?
8: Yeah, it's interesting, too, that I think initially trees and cemeteries were planted symbolically often. So there are like a lot of weeping trees that kind of are expressing mourning, like there's weeping willows, weeping... Beech trees, weeping mulberry trees, all sorts of weeping trees. And I think that they definitely contribute to the sense of meditation that a lot of cemeteries have been designed to do. And it's kind of sad that I think in the 20th century, a lot of cemeteries moved away from being those kind of rustic feeling places. Because just frankly, it's a lot more landscaping they need to do, as opposed Mm -hmm. to what they actually call like a landscape lawn cemetery, where it's just flat stones, grass that you can easily mow over. But that's, I think, not as pleasant to visit for someone visiting a family grave. And it's also not as much of a resource for the nature in the city, because if you just have green grass, that's not really doing much for anybody. Right. But yeah, I think that emotionally is an interesting way to look at trees in a cemetery because they do contribute so much to making it feel like a place that's a little bit set apart from the rest of the city.
2: This is a little bit more philosophical, and it's okay if you don't have an answer immediately. But (laughs) what do
8: you think that
2: trees can teach us about ourselves?
8: Yeah, that's a very good question because I think that especially in New York City, trees, they do reflect very much the people who have been here because... Unlike, you know, if you go out in a forest, these are all trees that have been picked here to be planted by somebody, or they have been saved by somebody, or they are just like volunteers, like a weird tree of heaven that decided to plant on the Q train tracks. But like, I think that they show the people that came before us how they saw nature which is I think, very powerful and that it can let us think about like, well, what did they overlook? you know, what is missing and what they how they saw nature in the city? How can we do better? And how can we take care of the trees that we have? Because I think that there is a problem of um, people getting very excited about like tree planting campaigns and less excited about caring for the street tree that might be just outside their door. Uh, So that's one thing. But I guess on the more philosophical side, I do think they're just a beautiful way to look at time, you know, just the very slow passage of time to remind yourself that our very quick pace of life is in contrast to the tree's kind of slower pace. And I think that's a good reminder to not stress out all the time about trying to continue to move at that very fast pace and kind of think about like the tree's pace of life instead.
2: That is a beautiful way to look at it, and I think we could all take that to heart. (laughs) (laughs) So with that in mind, what do you hope that the city's tree landscape will look like near in the future and far in the future?
5: Yeah,
8: hopefully good. You know, climate change is definitely impacting the trees within New York City. For example, a lot of the beech trees don't do as well in the heat, and so mm-hmm. it's it's very likely we're going to lose a lot of those trees. So I hope that care is taken to be sure we have a landscape that's actually going to thrive in the future, and that we learn from past mistakes. Because the reason, for example, we lost so many elm trees, a Dutch elm disease, because we planted so many elm trees. So when that disease was spreading, it just was able to you know go from tree to tree to tree. So I hope that those things are considered. And that, yeah, like there is just a more equitable approach to nature in the city too. Cause you know, while Central Park is gorgeous, Prospect Park is gorgeous. Like there's a lot of places that don't have access to green space. So hopefully like that is always top of mind. And then I think just like on an individual level that we consider ourselves all kind of like caretakers in it too. Like Within New York City, you can actually look at a map. I forget what it's called, but if you look up like NYC Street Tree Care, you can probably find it where you can kind of adopt a local tree and Mm. be sure it has water in summer and see if anyone else is taking care of it. And I think that that can bring you closer to the trees that are near you too, which is very cool. That's
2: such a hopeful thing that exists. Yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about or any specific tree stories that you would want to share?
8: Oh, I mean... I can always share more tree stories. I think, though, like, it is just fun. If you see a tree near you that you're like, I want to find out more about it, you can really just follow that thread, you know, be like, why is there uh, an elm tree here? How did it survive Dutch elm disease? And then suddenly you're reading about like that history, or maybe finding out it's like a resistant cultivar and learning about science. But yeah, I just encourage people to look at whatever trees are around them. Or if you know, if you're in a place without a lot of trees, think about what nature is there. Because I think every place has a very specific natural character that just brings you closer to the place you live, the more you know about it.
2: I love that. Um, that's a great note to end on. How can people
8: read more of your work? Where would you want to point people to? My website is com. I think it, related to nature, uh, me and my friend Aaron Chapman, who works at the Natural History Museum just started this NYC Micro Seasons newsletter that goes out once a week. I'm mentioning it because it's very nature-like uh-huh. <laughs> but like na- nature within the city, both natural and unnatural. So, like, we started with winter solstice and the fact that there's like a street in Lower Manhattan that on solstice gets no light. So, it's like, oh. yeah, and that one um, is just NYC Micro Seasons on Twitter will connect you to it. And I think, yeah, otherwise, otherwise, I'm pretty easy to find just, yeah, Alison C. Meyer on, on all the things.
2: Wonderful. Alison, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me.
8: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Even though I did not grow up in a city, I feel like my parents were always similar. Like, I'd always hear them imitating this commercial about like somewhere you could go camping or something where there was like a lady who goes like, so this nature, does it have parking? And they like, (laughs) they very strongly identified with this woman. (laughs) But Janae, my girlfriend is like super into plants and trees and things. And I feel like ironically, yeah, since living in New York and being with her as an adult is like more when I've started to like be around plants and appreciate Mm -hmm. nature and, and trees more. And Honestly, this is so embarrassing, but I feel like I didn't even know how, like, plants worked until, like, this year, where, like, (laughs) in elementary school, you know, they tell you, okay, you water a seed and, you know, it grows and whatever. And I was always like, yeah, okay, sure. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I'll believe it when I see it. exactly. And because, you know, my mom wasn't gardening. My dad wasn't gardening, you know? (laughs) I always thought you had to, like, buy fruits prepackaged at, like, a a store or whatever. And then, (laughs) you know, Janae is growing all these trees in our house. (laughs) <laughs> you know, from like the seeds of like Trader Joe's fruit that I ate, yeah. And I'm like, which like what the f like is
3: incredible. I know how plants work. My mom did some gardening, and I went camping a lot. But I've never seen anyone actually successfully grow a plant from like a Trader Joe's
1: fruit seed. So that is impressive. But it sounds like a myth, right? Like it's amazing yes. that that yeah. nature does this. I mean, Janae is amazing herself, but like it just blows my mind that it works like this. Hello and welcome back to Who Wants to Name Plants in Hebrew?
3: Ah.
1: (laughs) I'm your host, Zachary Goldberg, and with me today is our contestant, Janae Bonin. Janae, say hi to the folks at home. Hello! Now, Janae, you're not Jewish, is that correct?
3: That is correct.
1: But I hear you are an excellent indoor gardener. We understand that you've grown all sorts of beautiful trees from seeds from discarded fruit and planted them all over your apartment?
0: Uh, Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) Now we've also heard that your boyfriend has been teaching you how to say the names of the plants you grow in Hebrew and that you're actually quite the fast learner. Is that true?
7: Ah, Thank you, that's a good compliment.
1: Oh, she's modest, folks. And I'm sorry, how long have you and your boyfriend been together?
7: Uh, almost six years.
1: Oh, well isn't that lovely. You know, I've actually been told that your boyfriend is here with us today. Would you mind pointing him out for us, please? Uh, oh,
7: there he is, over there!
1: Uh, me? You're, you're pointing <laughs> to me. Uh, I'm your boyfriend? Yes, well, you must have quite a lot of patience. <laughs> All right, let's get to the game. For those of you joining us for the first time, here's how it works. I'm going to say the name of a tree that you, Janae, have grown in your apartment. And your objective is to name it in Hebrew. You'll have 15 seconds to do so. If you guess correctly, you'll move on to the next round. If not, you'll probably still move on because I don't want to sleep on the couch. Think you can do that? (laughs) Yes. Hear that, folks? She's ready! Okay, now everybody, all together, Let's play, Who Wants on. to Name Plants in Hebrew? Woo! 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 Okay, first round. You've grown an apple tree. How do you say apple tree in Hebrew? You have 15 seconds.
7: It's Takuhim.
1: <laughs> whoa ho We've got Speedy Shmooley over here. Well done, Janae! Alright, second question. Let's see if that was just beginner's luck. How do you say, and now this one sounds pretty similar, orange tree in Hebrew?
7: tapuzim.
1: That is correct. (laughs) Very impressive. Are you sure you didn't go to Hebrew school? Yes, I'm quite certain. Oh, oh, do you hear that? That's our MCQ buzzer. Now you know what that means, don't you? You don't? It means that because you've done so well, in this next question, you'll be given three multiple choice options. Are you ready? The question is, and this is actually more of a plant, arguably, than a tree, but we'll allow it. How do you say strawberries in Hebrew? Ooh, ooh, I know it. Is it A to team, which by the way is Hebrew for strawberries, B. Elephant Or C. Shalom
3: Hmm,
7: you know, I'm going to have to go with A. Two team.
1: My God, she's a natural! Can I get a round of applause for Janae? Okay, Janae. Final round. This will be split into two parts because the word is avocado tree and... It's my understanding that you're growing two avocado trees at home, which you affectionately, and adorably, refer to as... uh, Could you remind us? In Hebrew? Uh, In English.
7: Oh, little avocado and big avocado.
1: Right. And Janae, as we head into this final round, I want to remind you that the only reason this show exists is because of your incredible intelligence, insatiable curiosity, playful spirit, and all the wonderful qualities that make you... So, Janae, for a chance to win it all, part one. How do you say "big avocado tree" in Hebrew?
7: Et avocado
1: gadol. That is correct. And finally, for all the glory, win all or nothing. Thank you for that very dramatic drumroll. Well done. (laughs) How do you say "little avocado tree"? In Hebrew.
7: et's Avocado Katan.
1: Well, Janae, you may grow little avocados, but you win big hugs because you just answered correctly. You've won! Who wants to name plants in Hebrew? Woo! Congratulations, Janae! How do you feel?
9: Fabulous!
1: Woohoo! Do you know how to say that in Hebrew?
9: No! Alright,
1: well, we'll figure that out <laughs> next
9: time.
7: That was really cute. But you didn't give me the chance to work into conversation, gina. We were talking about my gina. Uh,
1: Were the producers rolling on that? Please tell me you were rolling on that. Please tell me you got that. This is television or podcasting or whatever this is. Gold! Thank you very much, Janae, for doing that. All the Hebrew names I taught her for her trees. I don't even know if that's accurate. I don't know. (laughs) I could be totally wrong on the words themselves. I could be wrong on the grammar. I'm pretty sure it's right. But eh, I don't know. I, I you know, I was in like the second tier Hebrew class. <laughs> I wasn't in like the highest one growing up. So who knows? You did your best. We won't be sticklers.
4: I started composting over the pandemic. And then I was like, okay, so I've made dirt, I guess. And so I <laughs> used that compost to like plant some, just like bushes. We have a deck where I live. And I planted the bushes. And then like a couple weeks later, there were all these little plants around the bushes that I had planted. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't make dirt. I made fertilizer. (laughs) That's
1: unbelievable.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Nature is incredible. So I replanted (laughs) all these tiny plants and one turned into a tomato plant and one turned into a pepper plant. (laughs) Wow. That's so beautiful. Totally by accident. And then I read about it, and they're called volunteer plants, which I thought was Aww, really nice. That's so nice. I love that. <laughs> I know they're sweet. volunteering.
1: I think, in general, there is just a disconnect. Whether you live in a city and you're, you know, or you're as ignorant as me, you know, about how the world works, I, I do think that there's a disconnect where we we tend to think of like human stuff as not nature, and everything else mm-hmm. as nature. When, when that's like the silliest thing, everything is nature. There is nothing that exists that isn't natural, you know? The floor that you're standing on and the chair that you're sitting in and the headphones that you're wearing, like, everything came from somewhere and eventually yeah. from the earth. And I think there's such a disconnect that it feels. And I think, like, if I'm ranting for a second, I do think that that kind of affects our, in the general, ability to be ecologically responsible you know when because we think of ourselves so separate Mm -hmm. like nature's over there and that's the polar bears and then there's us here you know but like literally everything is nature and I feel like we could we could all do better to (laughs) recognize that I don't know
2: no
4: I agree I feel like you see a, a bird's nest and you'd be like ah nature yeah but the bird made that from things that it found and we're also making all the stuff that we use from things that we found and I also think, like you said, Becca, people have this idea that New York doesn't have trees or doesn't have nature, but it, there are tons of trees in New York. There's huge parks, obviously. Yeah. More so
1: than a lot of suburbs, frankly.
4: There's also the botanical gardens that I had been to so many times. And this last time that I went to the botanical gardens, just like wandering around, I found a whole new part of the botanical gardens that was also like, this is the original area. This is how Brooklyn would look if it hadn't been developed in any sense. This is like original Brooklyn, and
1: but it um, but it's not so cool. even because because the parks are themselves like highly designed and
4: no, I mean they had put a part aside that they don't curate.
1: Oh, really? oh, the little forest part, yeah, yeah, the little yeah, forest yeah, part yeah, in yeah, the back,
4: yeah. yeah, that's really which cool. I, I never noticed that part at all. It's like
1: sort of tucked away. We are not sponsored by the city of New York, <laughs> by the way, but I do wish we were greatest city in the world, city that never sleeps. I'm walking here. <laughs>
3: Also, speaking of botanical gardens, I used to work at the botanical gardens in Cleveland, and we had two different like special greenhouses. One was Costa Rica, and one was Madagascar, and so I know a weird amount about the trees from both of those climates, um, and very little about anything else.
2: Did you like working at the botanical garden?
3: I did. I well, I I wasn't paid. I was a volunteer, but I was the teen volunteer of the year in 2012.
6: Whoa. Um,
3: so oh, thank great. you. So I might have been the only one, but <laughs> I will accept Don't the award.
1: <laughs> does Queens have one?
2: It does, oh. yeah, I, fun fact, my prom photos were taken at the Queens with Ten Garden <laughs> um, it is also a beautiful place.
1: did you go with the tree? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, Yes, my date was, in fact, wooden elm tree. Elm. (laughs)
1: Elm. They make good dates. Good dates, yeah. (laughs) It's a date tree. Actually, yeah, palms make good dates, (laughs) but (laughs) but elms make good companions. Palms are not trees, though. Yeah, Um, so
4: do dates ah! not grow on trees? It's wild because like when I looked up all the things that you're supposed to eat on Tubishvat, it was all like, oh yeah, we'll eat all the like fruits of the trees. I'm like, none of wait, these are trees. Wait, that's <laughs> so
1: right. Oh my God. Date trees, not trees. Pomegranate, <laughs> Pomegranate trees, not, not trees. Tree. This is a scam.
3: Do you have anything fun planned for your New Year's celebration for Tubishvat? Any fun plans this year? Well,
5: first of all, I'd like to say this is... Jewish tree new year. I believe the Christian trees may have other traditions, or certainly the Jewish hazel trees. This is our tradition. You know, there's a lot of intersections there of various faiths, tree species. So my tradition for Tubishvat is I like to do some nice photosynthesis, make some nice sugars. It's a nice part of the year, maybe the last part of the year, where I can uh, start saving up for my big winter feast.
3: You mentioned trees have different customs. They're not all the same. I understand the tree community is not a monolith, but are New Year's resolutions a thing that you tend to do at the New Year's? If so, do you have any resolutions this year?
5: You know, I don't like to think of them so much as New Year's resolutions because I'm a flexible tree. I bend with the wind, I bend with the sun. It's hard to set things in stone. You know, I'm made of wood. I don't think I'm so much as a New Year's resolution, but just another ring in my trunk. I like to make a record of my trunk in some way. So, you know, you can sort of look back through those rings and have a sense of where I've come from and where I've gone, but preferably don't have a look anytime soon because that would require that you chop me down.
3: true so it's more of a personal record for yourself it's an internal record for you to remember it's like a diary of sorts it's not for the public eye
5: yes it's a diary you know i don't necessarily need to hold myself accountable but it's just nice to see where i've been and where i'm going so yeah new year's resolution is is just another ring in my trunk
3: lovely lovely well thank you so much for coming on tubish pod it's been an honor and a happy new year to you
1: I just think it's really funny that like, Tubishvat sounds like ooh. Like if you're not Jewish, you're like such an exotic name. You're like Tubishvat. What does that mean? And it's just like the fifteenth of the, the month. Yeah, yeah, it's like if like <laughs> Christmas was called like the twenty fifth of the December.
2: 25th. Well, it's the date because it it's the birthday of the tree. Yes, I don't All think we've them? said
1: that once on this podcast. Yes. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> we haven't. Can you
3: please introduce yourself for our listeners? Hi, I'm Betula, the birch tree. I personally like to make New Year's resolutions, set some intentions for the new year. Is that something you do? How are you thinking about that this year?
9: You know, I sort of balk a little bit at resolutions because it's just so much pressure. And I think in some ways, like, time is such an arbitrary thing. You know, we've got this, like, human Gregorian New Year, like, as obviously as Jewish trees. We've got Rosh Hashanah. We've got cycles of growth and change, like the rings inside of us that tell us how long we've been around. Like there's so many different ways to measure time, measure change. And so it just feels like why now, why this moment? So I'm constantly trying to really reflect, make time meaningful and think back on the past, however long and then where I'm going in the future. So yeah, I don't know. I know some trees are really into New Year's resolutions, but uh, I just find it like a little arbitrary and weird.
3: Do you generally do anything to celebrate Tubishvat? Yeah, I mean,
9: it's so funny. Like, in all my friend groups, I sort of default end up being, like, the tree who pulls it all together. And so, you know, I try to, like, have a little festive... Maybe we all like get our sap flowing and like have a little like sprinkle for those creatures and people around us to give them a little gift. You know, I'm such a giver always, but I have to remember, I have to remember, I really need to slow down and take care of myself too, that like trees deserve care beyond our basic needs being met. In the past, like, I've hosted little gatherings for Tubishvat, but this year, really, it was just an opportunity to, like, gather some friends via our root system and really just, like, take some time to think through what this past year has been like, what we're hoping for in the future, and just to really, like, do some respirating photosynthesis, just, like, thinking about how lucky we are to be on this earth and have what we have. And then also reminding ourselves of like great inequities there are for trees and plants across the globe and even in our neighborhoods. Like I live in a park where I have great access to quality soil and sunlight and rain. And like, I know that that's not the case for all trees and all plants. And so thinking about what I wanna do this year to make sure that all trees have the things they need to live a quality life.
3: That's really awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so great talking to you. Thank you for having me. So if you haven't figured out by now, this obviously was not intended to be an educational podcast, but we thought it would be nice to at least cap things off with a little bit of tubishvat 101. And so I thought I'd call my very own rabbi, Rabbi Steve. Hi, Rabbi Steve. Thanks for coming on Tubish Pod. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners?
6: Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Rabbi Steve Seeger. I have the honor of being the rabbi of the congregation that uh, Isabel grew up in. I'm a Reconstructionist rabbi. I've been serving my current congregation, Kohalev, for uh, about 22 years and happy to be here.
3: When you say I grew up there, that's very literal. My parents started attending services when I was three months old. So I really did grow up at Koholev. So we're here mostly to talk about Tu and it's a holiday that I admittedly didn't remember much about. So can you give us just kind of a quick description of what this holiday is?
6: Sure. And actually, what Tu is has very much evolved over the course of Jewish history, begins as part of the biblical and rabbinic tax code. There's a law in the Bible that says when you plant a fruit tree, it has to produce fruit for three years before you can start using the fruit. And so the way that you measure a year in the life of a fruit tree is from Tupeshvat to Tubishvat. So we know about Rosh Hashanah as the new year. That's the one we think about. But there are actually three other New Year observances in Jewish tradition, and Tu B'Shvat is one of those. It was used in order to determine when a tree was old enough to begin to use fruit that it produced. It has this environmental or ecological dimension. It's become kind of a Jewish Earth Day. And I would say that today, this is the most widely familiar and utilized when people observe Tubishvat kind of makes sense too because of the connection to trees and the importance that trees have in maintaining a healthy planet and in helping to draw down the level of CO two in the atmosphere. Most of the Tubishvat observances that I'm familiar with really focus on the environmental dimension of the holiday.
3: What does Kolhalev do to observe? Like, what are some examples of ways that Tubishvat's observed today, at least in our congregation, as an example?
6: We have been holding intergenerational Tubishvat Seders for a number of years on this holiday. We were doing that in person up until uh, 2020, and we put together, we call it a Haggadah or a Haggadah, just like the the text that we use on Passover. It's called a Tubishvat Haggadah. And so it's a liturgical text that takes us through the Seder. And we try to connect the mystical focus with the environmental piece. And we often use it as an opportunity for people to discuss what they're doing to be environmentally, ecologically positive in what they do, and also for people to have an opportunity to be challenged in a friendly way to see if they can up their game a little bit in terms of their individual and family practices, the tree symbolism remains very central.
3: Rabbi Steve also talked about some other really interesting ways that Tu has evolved. One of those is after the Spanish Inquisition. It was interpreted and celebrated by Jewish mystics. Another is more recently in the establishment of the modern state of Israel, where it's been used to build the Jewish community there through the planting of trees. And this is me now, not Rabbi Steve. But I also just wanted to note that this tradition has unfortunately been used to link the Jewish people to Palestinian lands, often justifying hostility towards Palestinians. And I personally really recommend looking up the Tu B'Shvat Haggadah from Jewish Voice for Peace for more background and for a different way to honor the holiday. Like many Jewish traditions, it's an ancient holiday with a lot of really interesting history. A lot of that was beyond the scope of this podcast, but it's definitely worth learning more about. Judaism's
1: so funny. Cracks me up. <laughs> There's so many rules. There's so many rules. It's great. It's hilarious. I, I love the thing I love about Judaism <laughs> is that Judaism is people coming up with these crazy f- ideas where they're like, "Oh, because um,
2: actually could you do a like a shofar instead of a bleep? Something more Jewish."
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh crazy f- ideas where they're like, "Oh, because the sentence says the word fruit twice obviously it means god intended to make the bark taste like fruit too you know like these like the these crazy ideas you couldn't come up with unless you're <laughs> but then somehow from that they often extract like some some beautiful meaning you know or some like really nice ideas that are like i'm like yeah Yeah, that only makes sense in my head. And when I say it out loud, I'm like, wait, never mind. But like, (laughs) just like, I love that meaning can be extracted from like all these, like, you know, a single letter, even if it's like the silliest how we got there. That is a very
3: good summary of Judaism. I mean, like my (laughs) Devar Torah and my Bat Mitzvah was like the weirdest section of the it was it was like a list of rules and i remember i remember very little of it but i do remember something about planting crops like some rules about planting crops there was probably some tree stuff in there um and then rules about like who you're supposed to stone and why Classic. and like as a yes. as a 13 year old i was like i must draw meaning from this and they- <laughs> And I
1: did. It was beautiful. Every 13-year-old does that to some extent. I do like that, like, part of the meaning can come from I yeah. don't like this. Like, you could be like, I really don't like that we're talking about stoning people in some yeah. you know.
3: One of my favorite things about Judaism is that everything is open to debate and discussion. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, everything is to be argued about, which
2: I think is great. It makes it feel very alive. Mm-hmm. Like a tree. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Tubish Pod 2022, or in Jewish terms, 5782. I'm Rebecca Seidel, and I interviewed Allison C. Meyer, who, as you heard, is on a quest to find every great tree in New York City.
3: I'm Isabel Robertson. I interviewed some trees about their New Year's resolutions. So big thank you to my four trees. We had Sarah Meister, the birch tree, Anya Markowitz, the willow tree, Ben Robertson, the hazel tree, and our very own Zachary Goldberg, the olive tree. And this segment was heavily inspired by Ian Chillog's podcast, Everything is Alive from Radiotopia so if you liked the conversations with trees definitely go check that out he interviews inanimate objects like a can of soda or a sock or a lamppost and it is just a true delight so definitely go check it out and of course a big thank you to Rabbi Steve for chatting with me about the evolution of Tu B'Shvat he's been my rabbi for my entire life so it was really cool to get to chat with him about this holiday and have him participate in this show
4: I'm Persia Berlin. I produced this segment about opening and eating pomegranates. I guess I'd have to thank my mom for showing me how to open a pomegranate and whoever put a free version of Hava Nagila on the internet.
1: I am Zachary Goldberg. I produced the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? inspired segment. Thank you so much to my wonderful, incredible, sweet girlfriend, Janae, who allows me to subject her to my mishigas, not just on this show, but at all times, who inspires my love of nature and trees and plants in general. And thank you so much to the incredible Emily McNally for writing our opening number, the world's first original citation needed tubishvat podcast, also known as The Tubish Song. Let's summon them real quick. Emily.
0: Poof, I've appeared.
1: Hello, Emily. Where can people find you?
0: All of my original music is out on any streaming platform or on Bandcamp under Emily McNally. I'm also most active on TikTok at Emily McSings or on Instagram at Emily McNally Sings. Thanks, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to be a part of.
7: Thank
6: you, for Thanks, Emily. Emily
2: some Sameach, everyone. Even if you don't celebrate, go plant a tree or hug one.
1: You don't have to be Jewish, but if you plant a tree, your tree will be Jewish because all, all trees are Jewish. That's a confirmed fact. You can't prove that it's not.
2: halakhically <laughs> speaking. Yeah. <laughs> They're all circumcised.